Amen. Please take a seat. And uh, as Luke said, my name's Dan. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is great to welcome you, especially if you're visiting us for the first time. Uh, one of the things, uh, the really important parts of our worship as a church is hearing from God in the Bible. And uh, what does that mean, you'll, you ask? Well, we'll hear about that next week. Uh, we're working through a series at the moment of our core values as a church. What things do we hold as, as really of kind of highest importance in the way we live and the way we are as a church? Uh, and this morning, uh, as you might have gathered from that excellent uh, radio-controlled car um, extravaganza, uh, we're looking at the first of our values, which is that we, in everything, want to be Christ-centered. We seek the centrality of Christ. And uh, I'd just like to pray again uh, before we kind of get into then this, this value, being Christ-centered. Let's pray. Our Father, we've just sung some amazing words that the Lamb, the the darling, the sovereign of heaven, should be crucified. And, and this is just such a mystery and a wonderful mystery. And Father, we pray that, as has already been prayed, you'd show us something more of that today. Open our eyes, Father, we pray, and widen, broaden our hearts so that we would see something more of you and more of who Jesus is. And may uh, my words not just be words, but... Would you come in the power of your spirit to speak to us as we want to gaze at the Lamb this morning who is worthy? Amen. So we're looking at uh, the centrality of Christ, being Christ-centered. But just want to kind of begin by acknowledging that Christ, for many people, is just a swear word. Gone are the days of uh, sausages and golly gosh and whatever other quaint things we used to say. Uh, and it's been replaced. Christ. Christ has just become a common expletive. Now, obviously, we don't see it like that here. In fact, one of our core values, as I've said, as a church, is the centrality of Christ. But before we think about what that means, I want to begin by clarifying what we mean by the word Christ. Some of us maybe are sitting here not even sure what we mean by that word. Well, Christ refers to a person, to Jesus. And it's not a, a surname, it's not his surname. We call him Jesus Christ, but that isn't because he's the son of Mr. and Mrs. Christ. It's not a surname. Christ is a title, like the title the Queen. And the title Christ refers to God's anointed one, the king who would come and rescue God's people, who was promised, God had promised who would come. Christ is based on the Greek version of this title. Sometimes we use Messiah, which is based on the Hebrew word. And Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. They both refer to God's anointed one. Now, in case you're getting worried, I'm going to get really complicated. That's it. Not going to go any further. I realize there's much more that could be said. But I just want us to note that from the outset, when we talk about Christ, the centrality of Christ, we're talking about a specific person, and that is Jesus the Christ. But why all the fuss? What's so important about Jesus? Why do we value the centrality of Christ? Why do we want Jesus to be at the center of everything we do as individuals and of our life together as a church, as Portswood Church? I wonder if you'd even agree with that question. Do we want Jesus to be at the center? And if you agree with it, I wonder how you'd answer it. Why do we want Jesus to be at the center of our lives or at the center of our church? Well, I'm going to suggest three reasons why we should seek in everything to be Christ-centered. 
And firstly, because Christ is the center of the universe. Christ is the center of the universe. Please open a Bible to Colossians chapter 1, which is on page 1182. If you're using one of the church Bibles, 1182. Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to read from verse 15, which begins, The Son. And this is referring to Jesus, who is the Christ. He's also the eternal Son of God, the eternal Father. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Please particularly notice that last sentence of verse 18 so that in everything he might have the supremacy. In everything, Christ has the supremacy. He is supreme. He is matchless. He is without equal. He is above all others. He's the number one, and there aren't any number twos or threes. He stands alone as superior to everything and everyone. He's incomparable. He's unique. Now think of the most impressive thing you can think of. Christ is supreme over that thing. The most awesome storm you've witnessed, he is more awesome. The most breathtaking mountain range you've experienced, he is more breathtaking. In fact, they were made by him and for him. The most inspiring leader you've ever heard of, he is greater Or maybe we think of negative leaders, of powers, great powers, North Korea's military power displayed yesterday. Christ is mightier. He is the supreme leader, the almighty. I'm sure uh, my my mum and dad had cause to say once or twice that I thought the universe revolved around me. Uh, We use that expression, don't we? Obviously, no one says it now. Um, We use that expression when someone thinks that everything's all about them, don't we? And for every person who has ever had the attitude that everything is all about their wants and needs, for every person, they were wrong and they were arrogant. Every person except one. For Christ could truly say that the universe was all about him. I don't think he perhaps put it that way because he's also the chief expression of humility. But the truth remains, the entire universe in which we are tiny creatures on a tiny planet in a tiny galaxy, this entire universe was created through Christ and for Christ. Christ is the center of the universe. 
It's all about him. And so that means that if we want to truly make sense of our existence, we will only find deeply satisfying answers in Christ. What is life all about? What's the meaning of life? And before anyone very cleverly says 42, that's not the answer I'm looking for. Ignore me if you've got no idea what I'm talking about. What's the meaning of life? Where did we come from? Where are we heading? Sure, we can find parts of the answers in other places. Science give us, gives us fascinating insights into how things work, both on a massive scale and a microscopic scale, movements of planets and makeup of cells. But you won't reach an accurate and satisfying explanation that doesn't include the one who created science itself and the universe which science gives us knowledge of, and the one to whom all true science points. Science makes sense with Christ at the center. Science isn't the only place we look, of course. We might find other parts of the answer in relationships. If we've experienced the love of a parent, or a sibling, or a friend, or a spouse, or a child, then we probably realize there's more to life than atomic particles and dark matter. And yet those relationships won't ultimately provide the answer. They'll fail us at their worst. They'll fail us, let us down and and distort our existence. At their best, they'll point us to the God who can be defined as God is love. The God for whom the supremacy of his son, the Christ, the God who was pleased for him, for his supremacy to reconcile all things through him. Someone has commented that history is his story. History is his story. This universe is the scene of a great story which spans all time. The story is of a creation which has become spoilt. The universe has been subjected to decay. And humankind has played a prominent role in this story as we bring the decay in by our rejection of the God who made us and our rebellion against him. But our role prominent though it is, is not central. We are not the center of creation's story. Christ is. We are not the center. Christ is. And at the center of history, at the center of his story, the story of the universe, Christ is making peace, reconciling everything, the whole of this fallen creation, including rebellious mankind. Christ reconciles everything to God the Father, making peace through his sacrificial death on the cross. Christ is the center of the universe. That's my first suggested reason why we should make Christ the center of our lives. But secondly, Christ is also the center of the gospel. This story of reconciliation brings us to our next reason to be Christ-centered. Christ is the center of the gospel. The gospel means good news, and we use this word often here to describe all that God has done for our benefit, for our blessing, including the the reconciliation that we've just been thinking about, bringing us back into a right relationship, making peace. This is part of the gospel. So please now turn to another letter in the New Testament part of the Bible. This is a book called Ephesians, which is on page 1173, 1173. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1. 
where there we see just how central to the gospel Christ is. We hopefully won't be surprised. We've already seen that he's supreme in everything, including his story of reconciliation. But still, let's have a look from the perspective of Ephesians 1, as I read verses 3 to 14. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. It is in Christ God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, verse 3. In him, verse 4. Through Jesus Christ, verse 4. In the one he loves, verse 6. In him, verse 7. Through his blood, verse 7. In Christ, verse 9. In him, verse 11. In Christ, verse 13. In him, verse 13. You get the point. Like the name of a, of a seaside holiday resort uh, on a stick of rock, Christ runs through the entire gospel. Actually, uh, I looked into uh, ordering a load of rock for you this morning with Christ written in the center. I thought it might be a nice thing for you to take away. We like to try and think of some practical ideas, but it cost over 250 quid, so I didn't bother, sorry. <laughs> but um, just imagine I'm now handing out some bits of rock that say Christ in the center and pretend to take it home with you. And, uh, and put it somewhere. Uh, and while we're on the subject of rock, uh, I couldn't resist showing this photo of this guy who's got a bit of rock stuck in his beard. Um, given that uh, God our Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, why would we not want to be Christ-centered in all that we do? Why would we look for or expect blessing outside of Christ? In Christ, lost people are adopted by God the Father, brought to share the sonship of Jesus himself, sons with Christ, brothers and sisters of Christ. In Christ, we're dearly loved children. In Christ, we're rescued by his sacrificial death. In Christ, we're forgiven for our rebellion and rejection of God. In Christ, God has lavished riches of grace on us. He has been abundantly good to us, even though we don't deserve it. That is why when we preach, we seek always to make it about Christ. 
I heard a, a preacher recently, not in Southampton, so no one here today. No, he's not here. Uh, miles away. But described himself as being in the business of behavioral change. His work is to get us to change our behavior. I find that really sad. It's not that I don't think behavior is important. It is. But that's not why I preach, to get people to change their behavior. When I preach, I want you to see how beautiful Jesus is. Or if you're a guy here and struggling with that concept, I want you to see how manly Jesus is. We preach Christ because we want you to be attracted to him, drawn to him. If this is your first time here, or if you're just in the place of exploring and asking questions, we want you to look at Jesus. Obviously, you can't look at him in the way that you're looking at me now. He's not stood up here next to me in that sense. But but you can look at him in the passages of the Bible, in in the pages of the Bible. The Old Testament part of the Bible points to him. The first four books of the New Testament are are biographies of his life, death, and resurrection, and the, the rest of the New Testament points back to that, explains what he continues to do and explains more about who he is. The center of God's work of rescuing people is Christ. It's no surprise that Christ is the center of the Bible. So can I encourage you to take a look, see him there and be drawn to him. It's also why it's so exciting that our toddler group, Portsford Pod, as a focus now on, on pointing people in some way to Christ, whether that's through a song or, or through something that's said. And uh, it's just really good challenge, an opportunity for us this week in home groups, if you're part of a home group, to reflect on, on the ministries that we're involved in and ask ourselves, in what ways our Christ-centered value is evident? And do we need to consider any adjustments to make us more Christ-centered? But before we have Christ-centered ministries... We need to cultivate Christ-centered lives ourselves first. Before we have Christ-centered ministries, we need to cultivate Christ-centered lives ourselves. What does it mean to live a Christ-centered life? Well, for a start, we'll we'll, we'll not look elsewhere for things that we can only find in Christ. Just take a look at this list in Ephesians 1. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. How rubbish we feel when we try and be holy and blameless outside of Christ. Maybe we feel proud, slightly smug, smugly confident for a short while, and then we fail. And then the guilt sets in, and perhaps a sense of helplessness. What's the point? But if we keep Christ at the center of our lives, we remember that he is our righteousness. We remember that only in him Are we holy and blameless? And we remember with total confidence and complete assurance that in Christ we've already been made perfect. It is done. Hebrews 10 verse 14, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. In him we are holy and blameless. And our journey that we call sanctification is, is about becoming who we already are. We are already holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. How insecure we can feel if we try and approach the almighty, awesome God of the universe on the basis of our performance. Have I done the right things? Have I done enough of the right things? 
What about the wrong things? Will I be accepted? But if I have Christ, a Christ-centered view of how God views and responds to me, then I will remember that through Jesus Christ, God, my Father, chose to adopt me before he even created the world. Before any human existed, God, my Father, purposed to bring me into his family and share the sonship of my brother, Jesus. If you remember this Christ-centered view, then you remember you couldn't be more loved or accepted as you remember that in Christ you're a dearly loved child, a dearly loved daughter, a dearly loved son with all the status of the son, Jesus the Christ. Of course, being Christ-centered isn't confined to how we relate to God. If we're living Christ-centered lives, then this will affect our relationship with others too. A life which is centered on Christ will be uh, being transformed to become more like Christ. Maybe that will be seen in how we put other people's needs above our own. Maybe that will be seen in how we love each other. Maybe that will be seen in how we show compassion to the needy. Whatever the aspect of Christ's character, if we're living Christ-centered lives, then we'll see these Christ-like, Christ-honoring characteristics increasing among us. So Christ is the center of the universe. Christ is the center of the gospel. And finally, Christ is the center of our future hope. Christ is the center of our future hope. Uh, We're looking now at uh, Revelation chapter 5. That's on page 1,237. 1,237. And uh, the setting for Revelation chapter 5 is all there in Revelation chapter 4. But we don't have time to read it um, or go into the detail. But basically, the scene is the throne of God in heaven. It's an awesome vision. God is worshipped as creator by all surrounding his glorious throne. God is there in his brilliance, in his brightness, in his glory. And toward the end of chapter 4, chapter 4 describes some living creatures, some angelic beings around the throne who day and night never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And Revelation 4 continues, Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. But then comes chapter 5. And at the beginning of Revelation chapter 5, there's a major problem. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept. Because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll 
or look inside. This scroll is symbolic of God's great story that we've just been thinking about, that we've been scratching the surface of this morning. God's story, which includes reconciling the entire creation. And this, this heavenly document represents the future course of history. One scholar writes, it contains the full account of what God in his sovereign will has determined for the destiny of the world. This scroll contains God's amazing plan of, of judgment and redemption. And that no one anywhere in heaven or on earth or under the earth, no one anywhere could open this scroll is symbolizing the despair and frustration that no one can bring about God's great plan of redemption. The universe itself, someone has said, was morally incapable of affecting its own destiny, of bringing about this plan. But Revelation doesn't finish at chapter 5, verse 4. If it did, there'd be no story at all. Things past would not have happened, and there'd be no hope for the future. It's no wonder that the man receiving this vision weeps and weeps in this kind of unrestrained weeping. But then verse 5 continues. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures And the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God. They will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven. And on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. Now we're just skimming over these verses and I realize that some of the details sound a bit weird without explanation. But I just want us to see that Christ is there at the center of our future hope. By his sacrificial death, the Lamb has taken control of the course of history, someone has written, and guaranteed its future. And this plan isn't finished yet. God's story hasn't reached its happy ever after. 
For a start, we're not yet standing in that vast choir singing the praise of the Lamb. Neither have we experienced the fullness of all that God has for us in the gospel. We still battle sin. We still face sickness and death. We still mourn and we still cry. We're yet to grasp just how much our Father loves us and just how loving our new brother is. But we have all this future hope in Christ. He's the center of our future hope. He's the only one who can step forward to bring it about. So I want to finish by asking us two questions. Is Christ the center of my life? He's the center of the universe, the center of the gospel, the center of our future hope. Is Christ the center of my life? Is he the center of our corporate life? And uh, I think we'll find, apologies if you're struggling with the amount of um, places we're reading, but I think we'll find the example of the Apostle Paul really helpful. You don't have to turn to it if you don't want to. It's up to you. If you do, it's on page 1180. I'm just going to read from Philippians chapter 3. And this is the kind of story of one person making Christ the center of their life. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 to 14. And uh, at the beginning, Paul is talking about all this kind of stuff that he could have relied on, all this stuff that could have been at the center If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, like foul-smelling street dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Is Christ the center in my life? Do I consider everything else a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord? Is Christ the center of our corporate life, the way we relate with each other or the shape of our ministries? What would that look like? Uh, You can perhaps discuss that in home groups. Christ is the center of the universe. Christ is the center of the gospel. Christ is the center of our future hope. Is Christ the center of my life? Is Christ the center of our corporate life? Let's pray.
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you for your sacrificial death through which we are forgiven, rescued, reconciled, adopted as your brothers and sisters, dearly loved children of our Father. You are supreme over everything. You are the center of the universe, the center of the gospel, the center of God's blessing and the center of our future hope. Lord, please help me to place you in the center of my life. And Lord, please help us to place you in the center of the life of your church as we seek to become increasingly Christ-centered.